in from retreat. A bunch of you, okay, I can tell who you are. That's awesome. I just have to say a huge thank you to all of you for being so gracious and inviting and receiving uh, Debbie and I. Uh, it's just a joy to be with you. We had a marvelous, uh, we, we ate at the finest restaurant in Tehachapi today. Uh, we ate at the Brooks House, and they just treated us like royalty. If you ever get an invitation to eat at uh, the restaurant, Brooks, uh, don't turn it away. It was, it was marvelous. And then I got to lay down and rest for about 30 minutes and get ready for tonight. And so it is good to be with all of you again this evening. And so if you brought your Bibles, and I trust that you did, I'd invite you to turn to the book of Isaiah. And tonight we're going to look at a passage of Scripture there and connect it to God's Word in several other places. And so Isaiah chapter 43, beginning at verse 16. And we pray that the Spirit of the Lord will prepare our hearts to receive a good word from the Lord Himself. Amen? Isaiah 43, would you listen to the word of the Lord? This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Now forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. I have already begun. Do you not see it? I am making a highway in the wilderness, and I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. This morning, we introduced the idea that the creator of the universe, the savior of our souls, the spirit of God is desiring to awaken God's people, awaken us to his voice, to his call, to his way, to his will, to be able to bless, to be able to heal, to be able to transform us, that there is a likeness that we've not yet ever known but we are being drawn toward that likeness. And our God is doing a new thing. That's what Scripture says. And so tonight I want us to think a little bit about that. What is it that God is desiring to do in your life, in your family, in your workplace, in this church, in this community? Our God is doing a new thing. I have seen it with my own eyes. Uh, three years ago, the church granted Pastor Debbie and myself a sabbatical, a Sabbath's rest from our labors. And so they granted that sabbatical and helped to fund a little time that we had away. And we had begun to pray, God, in these, in these days of Sabbath's rest, what is it that you want to do we want you to do a new thing in our lives. We want to come back with a, a sense of a new thing that you would do here on the district, in our churches, through us and through our work. And so we had the privilege of, of going and seeing some of the old church to see how God had been doing a new thing in ages past. And so I want you to see some pictures. We, we got to stand in the Colosseum. 
and to try to get your mind around what it was like when Caesar was trying to extinguish the church. When Christians were being thrown to the lions and the gladiators and God was doing a new thing. And the church was growing in unprecedented ways that could not be stopped by the persecution of the empire. Our God is doing a new thing. We, we had the privilege of literally walking on the streets of old Ephesus. Those are the very stones that the Apostle Paul walked on. The places where he preached. And in the midst of the persecution, we were reminded that our God is always doing a new thing, changing everything. We had the privilege of, uh, of being able to see some of the great cathedrals of the, of the church and to stand in Notre Dame and to think about the Reformation and how God had moved in that season and how the world was changed when the Spirit of God moved among His people. We also had the privilege of going to church at John Wesley's church in London a part of our heritage, a part of our story, and to remember how God had moved, doing a new thing in those early Methodists. And it was this extraordinary time in our lives. But in the midst of all of that, as we were seeing how God had done a new thing in, in other seasons, we began to say, but God, are you still doing it? Are you still doing a new thing? Well, as a part of that sabbatical rest, we had a, an opportunity to go on a little bit of a cruise. And so if you've ever been on a cruise, you know at night that oftentimes they will assign you to a table of people to sit with at dinner each night. And so the first night we are assigned to this table, we go and sit down, and it just so happens that we're sitting with four Catholic folks, a nun and three of her friends, all from this church in New Jersey. And I thought, well, this will be interesting. Two Nazarene pastors and four Catholic people. This could just really be interesting. But what we found was amazing. They were so eager to hear from us. And every night as we gathered, they would talk about their tradition and ask about ours. And, and we were leaning on each other. And it was just this amazing exchange of, of Catholic and Protestants that were just embracing one another. It was an absolutely incredible time. And so one of the evenings, we're at dinner, and, and in the midst of this, the conversation, they discover that, that Pastor Debbie has just been ordained. And Sister Chris, the Catholic nun, said, Thanks be to God! That's awesome! Because in the Catholic tradition, that's not allowed. And so at the table that night, instantly, they toasted her ordination. A Bud Light, two glasses of wine, an iced tea, and a Diet Coke. And it was absolutely awesome. Our God is doing a new thing. And so on the last night, we're getting ready to leave. It's the last time that we'll probably ever see them this side of heaven. And we had finished our dinner, and we were about to part. And there was this deep sense of love that we had developed for them and they for us. And as our dinner closed, I looked at my new friends and I said, would it be all right if I spoke a blessing over you? And instantly, all of them put out their hands to receive a blessing from a Protestant Nazarene female pastor and her husband. 
and our God is doing a new thing. Amen. He is always doing a new thing. Well, we need a new thing because our world, in case you haven't noticed, is pretty messed up these days. If you're not sure about that, just turn on the news when you get home. It'll take you about a minute or so and you'll realize our politics are messed up. The environment, they say, is pretty messed up. There are just all kinds of brokenness in all kinds of ways. And we need God to be able to do a new thing. It seems as though things are just kind of falling apart. In fact, it almost seems as though it's the law of physics. And those of you that are school teachers, you would say it is the law of physics. The law of entropy says that unless there is a greater power, everything moves toward decay. Unless there is a greater power. If you're not really clear about that, get a group of toddlers, leave them in the room all by themselves for 30 minutes, and you will realize everything without a greater power always moves toward decay. I want to show you some more pictures. These are pictures that I just got off the Internet, but I know the story. This was a great factory once, but they shut it down. And left it. And that is all that remains of the factory today. Without a greater power, everything moves toward decay. You can take a house and without a greater power, that's what happens. You can take a city and without a greater power, it will become like this. It will be overgrown. Even in a great relationship, without a greater power. That's what it can become. Everything without a greater power always moves toward decay. But our God is doing a new thing. Amen? It's the story of God from the beginning of the world till this very moment, till the end of time. And so this evening, what I want us to do, I want us to look at the story of God. And so we're going to start in the middle with the story of Isaiah, and then we're going to go back to the beginning. And then we're going to work our way to the end. We should be done by midnight, I'm sure. (laughs) I think it'll move right along. And so let's begin about 750 years before Jesus puts on flesh and blood to become one of us. We understand biblical history that Uzziah was king at that time. And it was during the days of Uzziah the king that Isaiah the prophet was born. Now, Uzziah was a pretty good king. Mostly. And he had pretty good days. Mostly. And for 50 years, he had followed the ways of God. And the whole kingdom had been blessed. But then there came a time in Uzziah's life when he began to say, you know, I don't really think I need to follow the ways of God anymore. Have some of my own ideas. God, you're not going to be the boss of me anymore. And when he turned his back on God, almost immediately he was consumed with leprosy and he died. It seems to be the human way, doesn't it? For us to say to those who are around us, especially who may be in authority over us, you're not going to be the boss of me. Back in the days when Debbie and I were doing youth ministry, we had taken a large group of junior high students on retreat. 
And so we had this big house up in the mountains, and we pulled up in the church vans, and we were all excited, and all the kids are getting out and getting all their stuff set. There was this kind of windy road that led up to this big mountain house. And as the kids were all getting out of the vans, I noticed that several of the boys had brought their skateboards. And so I said, boys, you see that road down there? It's too steep. You can't do it. There's gravel on the road. You can't do it. So just put your skateboards back in the van. And so the boys began to say, okay, Pastor Rob, okay. But I could see that there was one boy that his mouth was saying, okay, Pastor Rob, but his body language was saying, you are not the boss of me, old man. I think I was about 27 at the time. (laughs) You are not the boss of me. And so we go inside, and we're getting everything going, and it's only been about 15 minutes since we'd gotten there. And all of a sudden, I hear all this commotion outside, and the boy had gotten back in the van, and he grabbed that skateboard, and he took off down that hill because he knew that he was smarter than I was. Well, it took about five seconds, and he's going 60 miles an hour. And he can't stop, and all of a sudden, he hits some rocks, and he's just launched. And there's all this gravel on the road, and he just goes right down the middle of it. And when he comes to a stop, he's got no skin on his elbows, and he's got no skin on his knees, and he's got no skin on his chin, and he's bleeding, and he's crying, and he's a mess. And so all of his friends, they're carrying him back up, and he's wailing away, and they bring him up to the house, and I look at him, and with all the compassion that I could muster, (laughs) I said to him, so how's that working out for you? You being the boss, how's that working out for you? I didn't actually say it quite like that, but that was the essence of what I said to him because it just seems as though it is the way of our humanity. And so it was during that time when Uzziah had died as he turned his back on God that Isaiah is called to be a prophet. We have to get a little sense this evening of what it means to be a prophet called by God. It gave you a unique unique perspective on everything that was going on around you. The prophet of God, the one called and gifted with this prophetic sense, he saw the world as others saw it. He could read the newspaper. He could watch the news. He saw what you see. He could see everything that other people saw, but he also had the eyes of God. There was a sense that he had the heart of God. And it was as though he could, he could read what you read, but he could see across the hills of time. And he could see a few years and a few decades and a few generations and a few hundred years on down the road. And so he was seeing the immediate and he was seeing this much bigger picture. And so it was during that time as Isaiah begins to prophesy, as he begins to see what's happening in his own country, that he looks around. Well, the Hebrew people at this point had come to a place of identifying themselves as two kingdoms. One nation, two kingdoms, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And so Isaiah begins to prophesy to them He begins to see what's happening and that his people in the southern kingdom were conspiring with the godless Assyrians to crush their own people in the north. 
And he sees with God's eyes and he feels with God's heart that all of the nation is turning their backs on God. And so with those God eyes and with his God's heart, he begins to speak to them. You got to turn around. You got to come back. I know that you want to be like the cool people. You want to be like the Assyrians. You want to be like the Babylonians. You want their gods to be your gods. You want their ways to be your ways. But you have to understand that what goes around comes around. And what you are conspiring to do to your own family, somewhere down the road, somebody will do to you. And so for 39 chapters, he pleads with his people. In fact, scholars call the first 39 chapters of Isaiah the book of judgment. Because again and again and again, you're going the wrong direction. Turn around, repent, and come back. And then chapter 40 comes and something has happened, something amazing, astonishing. It is as though the heart of God has changed. And we go from words of judgment to words of comfort. And now then God begins to speak in new ways. Would you look again at a portion of the scripture that we read earlier? Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. I've already begun. Do you not see it? I am making a highway in the wilderness and I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Now you have to remember the whole go around, come around thing. It's going to be another hundred years before all of that pain is fully realized among his own people. Before they will realize the full pain of their own captivity. But God has already begun. You haven't even completely messed up. And I'm already getting ready to do a new thing. Because I am the God who is always doing a new thing. Now that's the middle. So now then I want us to go back to the beginning and just take a little walk through the story where God just seems to delight in doing a new thing. You know the story. In the beginning, God created everything. The heavens, the earth, he created it all, and it was good. It was very good. It was perfect. We talked a little bit about that this morning. And then something happened. The man and the woman in the garden said, you're not going to be the boss of me, creator God. And scripture tells us that immediately they were crushed by their own shame. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed even of myself. I'm ashamed of my own body. And so now I must cover my shame. And so they took leaves to try to cover their shame. But they were itchy and scratchy and didn't fit. And God said, I will do a new thing. And God shed blood. It was a, a forecast of what would come later when God's own blood would be shed. But he shed the blood of his own creation and brought them animal skins and said, put these on. They will suit you. They will fit you. And they will cover your shame. And it was God's gracious act to them. I am doing a new thing. And so then the people should have been grateful, but they weren't. And there was more decay. And it got so bad that there was a flood and there just happened to be an ark. And there was a rainbow, and God said, I'm doing a new thing. 
And then there was more decay. And there was Abraham, and God said, I'm going to call you out and send you to a new land. And your family, though you are a 100 years old, will be like the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore, and I will be the God that will do a new thing. And then there was more resistance and more decay. And there was Moses. And God brought them out of Egypt and brought them into a place where he gave them food. He gave all that they needed all the, the quail, all the manna, all the water. God provided everything and did a new thing. And there was more rebellion and they died in the wilderness. And then they were led into the promised land and God gave them cities they did not build and gave them resources they had not developed and he was doing a new thing. And the cycle continued and continued and continued Because God knows our ways. He knows this sense that we have this this strange sense of rebellion and, and wandering. But he says, I will not leave you. I will not leave you in your brokenness. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I will always be there for you. And our God is doing a new thing. Back in the day when when our kids were all still pretty young, they were all at home. There was one of our daughters who, um, I believe it was her sixth grade year, that we just went through a really tough time. She just wasn't having anything in our family. And we were too old, and we weren't smart enough, and we weren't cool enough. And pretty much every day, we heard, you are not going to be the boss of me. You're not going to tell me what to do. And those were hard days. We're pastors. And to lay in our bed at night and to weep and to feel that sense of failure. God, what are we doing? How have we failed? Why is it like this? And it kept going and it kept getting worse. And there was a night that it had just come to a head. And there was just kind of a yelling match in our house. And it was terrible. And the next morning we got up and it was worse. And at the breakfast table, she and I are just going at it. You are going to respect us, Missy. I am not. You're not going to tell me what to do. And we got in the car and we went to school and she was just so angry at me and I was so angry at her. And as she opened the car door to get out I said, when you get back in this car this afternoon, we are going to finish this. And she slammed the door and walked away. Boy, I was prepared to be a good pastor that day. (laughs) Go to my office and I'm trying to think about scripture and Sunday and I'm just a mess. I'm a complete failure. And I kept hearing God say, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to do a new thing. You can trust me. I'm not going to leave you in this place. I will not fail you in this place. And so I went through the day hearing God say, I'm going to do a new thing. You can trust me. And so it was time to go pick her up. And, and so I, I drive up in front of the school. And as I see her walking out, I can see that she's just chomping nails. And she is just ready to get right back at it. The radio had been playing in the car, and 
And just as she opened the car door, she started to get in. And there was another one of those great gospel songs by another one of those great gospel songwriters. Uh, Joe Cocker, do you remember that great (laughs) songwriter? And he began to sing. And I began to sing. You are so beautiful to me. You are so beautiful to me. Can't you see? You're everything I ever hoped for. You're everything I need. You are so beautiful to me. By the end of that song, she was sobbing and I was sobbing. Daddy, forgive me. Forgive me. I've been so awful. I've been so terrible. Will you please forgive me? Oh, my child, will you please forgive me? Will you please forgive me for not being better at this, not knowing what to do, not knowing what to say? And God did a brand new thing in that little car that day, and we were never the same. That's not to say that we were perfect all the time from there forward. But God did a new thing, and we were changed. She was changed, and I was changed, because that's what God does. I want you to just listen to Scripture and just let Scripture tell us the story here. In Isaiah 42.9, we pick up these words. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. In Ezekiel 36, we read these words, And I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols, and I will give you a new heart and will put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. In Luke 22, we read these words. And Jesus took bread and he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, This is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. In 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In Revelation 2, and I will give to each one a white stone, and on that stone will be engraved a new name. And in Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God He will wipe every tear from their eyes. 
And there will be no more death. No more mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Write it down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And so what is it that God's doing? What is the vision for this church, for TNAS? I know that you've talked for a long, long, long time about what your new buildings will be like and what you need to build and what it's going to look like and how it's going to serve and all the good things and all that's great and I pray that you do it. But I want to give you an image of what I think your church should look like. This is your building plan moving forward. It's this. You are to be an oasis. An oasis in the midst of a dry and thirsty land. The people living in the dryness. The people who living are living in the wasteland that you might live in such a way that they would be drawn to the living water that flows from you. And that you become the oasis by the power of the Spirit. What is it that you have? What is it that God is doing? How is it that you have this thing within you that just seems to spring up and spill over? It is the love of God. In me, for my God is doing a new thing. And as he has done it in my life, he can do it in yours as well. This is God's design for the church. Whatever building you build, build it. But may this be the people that you become. The people that provide an oasis in a dry and thirsty land. Your neighbors are dying of thirst. They don't know it, but they are. They are dying of hunger. And you alone, you have the answer. And this is what God wants to do. He wants to do it in you. He wants to do a new thing in each of our lives. You know the only thing that's holding us back? It's us, isn't it? We're the only thing that's holding us back from that awakening, from that oasis experience, from being all that we were created for. We're the only things holding us back, and God wants to do a new thing. There's an account that we have in Luke chapter 5 where Jesus put it this way. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. You see, for all of us, the only issue is is my heart, my heart's condition. You may know the story that in those days when they crushed the grapes and prepared the wine, 
that they had to put it in some kind of container. It was put into an animal skin, and over the years, the animal skin would get hard. It would become brittle. And if you put new wine into it, as it expanded with the vitality, the life that was in it, it would crack and burst the wineskins. And so there were two things that they did in those days. One, they would go and, and, and kill some more animals and make some more wineskins. But often what they would do, the wise person would take the old wineskin and would soak it and massage it with oil and would change the condition of the old wineskin so that it was ready again to receive the new wine. See, I know that God is birthing new churches, and I'm thankful for all that. And as district superintendent, I'm always looking to plant a new thing, to see a new thing happen. But I don't want the old things to be burst and torn apart and destroyed. And so I think the oil of the Spirit is the perfect remedy that He can massage our hearts, that He can change us and prepare us for the new things that He wants to do. And so I've just been, I've just been thinking in my preparation for coming here about all of you. I know some of you, but I don't know all your stories. But I imagine that all of us need a new thing in some way. And so what is it? What is that new thing that you may need tonight? Maybe it's something in your mind. Your mind needs to be renewed. Your heart needs to be changed. Maybe there's some bitterness that you've been carrying. Now, maybe it's just the people in the valley, because I know they're kind of messed up down there, and that's why you all moved up here. But it could just be that somebody up here in glory land, that maybe, maybe some of you have carried bitterness or hurt, and you need God to do a new thing. Maybe you've got a relationship like I had with my daughter. Maybe you've got a situation that you can't fix Maybe there's some broken point in, in your life, some habit that you haven't been able to deal with. You haven't been able to change yourself, and you need a new thing. Maybe it's something in your marriage or in your family, and you can't fix it, and you need a new thing. And tonight, I want to just invite you. I mean, there's no, there's no magic bullet in in coming and praying, but there's a great God that we meet. We meet the God who works miracles, who parted the Red Sea, who gave an ark when a flood was coming, who raised the dead to life again, who wants to do a new thing in your lives. And so tonight, I, I want to extend that Invitation. I'm, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And then I'm just going to sing a verse or two of amazing grace. You can sing with me. You can join with me. And we'll just gather around these altars. For as long as the Spirit would move to just say, God, tonight, tonight I need a new thing. 
I've walked with you. I've loved you. But I need a new thing. I need you to do something brand new in me. And so, Father God, tonight, we are gathered in this place. People have set other things aside to come here tonight. And we have heard your word. And so, Lord, tonight, would you move among us by the power of your spirit, would you stir your people? Lord, if there are those tonight that just need to come and meet you, receive from your hand, that you would do a new thing in marriages, in families, in work situations, with finances, in our minds and in our hearts, that the God who delights in doing new things would again tonight do a new thing right here among us. And so, Lord, bless us in these moments. And we ask these things in your precious holy name. If you would desire to come, come and pray. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Could we just sing that verse again? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Some of you like to just come and gather around and just pray with folks here. Just come alongside and lay hands on them and let's be the body together, the family of God, asking God for a great awakening, for a great movement of the Spirit, that you would do, Lord, what only you can do. Father God, we are so thankful so thankful for your presence tonight. We thank you for the movement of your spirit. So work among us now as we just lean into you. We cry out for a great awakening among your people. That you would stir us and help us and bless us and heal us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Help us now, we pray.
God's people said. Amen. Amen. There is a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And God has only begun. Isn't that the good news? And so I would ask that tonight when you go home, when you get in bed, that you would just say, thanks be to God. You have only begun, Lord. And may tomorrow night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night be a time of building on what God is already stirring. Sometimes in the church, we want to go back and duplicate what God did somewhere back then. But our God says, don't worry about that. I'm doing a new thing. A new thing that you haven't even yet imagined. But it will be all you need. It will be all that I have created you for. And so I'm so glad to be here. Looking forward to these next days. And so as I said this morning, call a friend tomorrow. Call an enemy. <laughs> call somebody. Bring him with you. And tomorrow night, we will pray that the Spirit of God will descend among us as he has this day. Amen? Yes. Let me speak a blessing over you. May the Lord bless you, and may the Lord keep you. May he fill you with a deep sense of his presence and his glory. And may he send you to the places where he will use you tomorrow and the day beyond. And so may you be God's people for God's glory. And all God's people together said, amen Amen. and amen. Go in the peace and love of Jesus. Amen and amen. Have a great week. We'll see you tomorrow night. 6.30, is that right, Rob? 6.30. Too much